We'll continue walking through the book of Mark. If you have your Bible, just open right up to Mark chapter 10. And we've been in Mark since January. We'll be in Mark for another couple of weeks or months. Um, If you want to know the estimated time of departure, like when will we get out of the book of Mark, October 21st is the date, okay? So you can just kind of mark that on your calendar and uh, see if Matt hits his goal or not. Um, but uh, we're, we're walking through Mark. We're in Mark chapter 10, and Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. His disciples don't know exactly why Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's already told them twice um, what's going to happen there, but they, they don't fully understand uh, what's happening on this path to Jerusalem. But this is Jesus' last chance to instruct his disciples before he reaches um, what will be uh, his betrayal, the cross. Um, and the resurrection. So this is kind of Jesus' final teaching time um, with his disciples, trying to finally kind of peg things down in their heads so they understand what this thing is all about that they're doing. And we'll pick up in verse 13. It says, And they, uh, the crowd around him, were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, to his disciples, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a small child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. I'm going to stop real quick. And when we read this passage, we get a couple of things that can be misconstrued fairly quickly. The first one is, why are the disciples so mean to kids? Right? Like, like what is wrong with these 12 guys who've been with Jesus? Why are they so mean to these little helpless babies? Like, like what is wrong with them? And, and that's a cultural thing, right? Culturally, we value babies a lot. Right? When, when someone has a baby, we, 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 we have baby showers for them, right? And we, we celebrate the mother, we celebrate the child. It's a huge, huge deal. Uh, my wife and I currently have a little 11th month old uh, little baby, and he is like uh, an all star, right? Everything, like if, if he wants, man, we're so glad to give and uh, go and do. Like he is so precious. But if you were to go back 2,000 years, Children provided very little value to you. When everything that you need has to be worked for and very, very hard, children are extra mouths to feed. And until they're able to go out in the field and work, until they're able to make house and make the house run smoother, they're actually nuisances for people. And so children weren't valued to the same degree that they're valued Um, today. And part of the reason we have this changing in values between pre-Jesus and post-Jesus is this story right here in the Bible, where Jesus picks up small children. These could be babies, or they could be, you know, four-year-olds or something. We don't really know, but they're non-productive citizens, and he brings them in, and he blesses them. So don't give the disciples too hard a time. They're just products of the culture that they're in. But these, these mothers are bringing their children to Jesus, saying, bless my child, bless my child. And Jesus is glad to bless his ch- their children. And he teaches his disciples something, right? He says, he says, you know, you must receive the kingdom of God like these children to enter into the kingdom of God. And I was dealing with my, my little group that I, I go through sermons with, and we work together to uh, kind of polish things up and make sense out of some of the passages. And, and you know, this, this understanding of what it means to receive the kingdom of God 
uh, like a child, can, sometimes we're like, well, childlike faith, right? This idea of total acceptance. Like if, if you tell your child, I'm looking around the room, okay. Uh, if you tell your child that, you know, that, um, you know, money uh, is just, just appears magically in your bank account, your children will believe that, right? They'll believe that somehow money magically appears in your bank account. They won't understand that there's a trade of goods and services and somehow somebody somewhere has to write a check and that has to come from their pile of money and way up the chain, someone just makes money out of nothing, right? Just fiat currency that just, just created out of nothing, right? They don't understand that. They just think if you tell them something, they believe it. Why? Because they're trusting people. And part of that is true, right? We need to enter into the kingdom of God with childlike trust and faith. But the main point Jesus is making isn't that. The main point that he's making is that you must enter the kingdom of God in the same state as a child. And a child is totally and utterly helpless. They can't do anything. You know, a child doesn't bring anything to the table. The child doesn't, doesn't, doesn't produce anything. And Jesus is like, this is who the kingdom of God is for. It's for the people who understand they can bring nothing to God. And so they enter into God's kingdom in a helpless state. And immediately after this, we're going to read the next story, Jesus shows the opposite of this. So you have these helpless children, and Jesus says, enter into the kingdom of God like them. And then we have the story of a powerful person. Let's pick up right here in verse 17. It says, and he, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him. So he's just finished blessing the children. He's beginning to set out and this man runs up to him and he kneels before him and he asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man replied to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Okay, so, so y'all are familiar with this story, right? The, pair, the story of the rich young ruler, the rich young man. And this man runs up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? How do I get there? How do I uh, attain this kingdom of heaven that you're talking about, this kingdom of God that you preach about? How can I be a part of that? What do I need to do to grab a hold of that thing that you have that you've talked about so often. And so Jesus responds to him to try to get him to do some introspection, right? To look inside of himself and to understand who he is. Introspection is an important thing. It's something that we lack sometimes in the church. We don't always reflect on what we are and who we are and where we've been. Jesus often prompts people who come to him to think about where they're at, where they've been, what's going on inside of them. And so he says, well, what, what does the commandment say? You know, keep the commandments and then you'll, you'll go uh, achieve the kingdom of heaven. And that's true, by the way. If you can keep the commandments, if you can keep all ten commandments from beginning to end, um, from the beginning of your life to the end of your life, God will, will, will take you to be in heaven with him. That's a, that's a promise from Scripture. The bad news is you can't do it. Right? I mean, the Bible tells us that point blank. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But just you personally know you can't do it. 
right? I don't have to give you examples of times when you've been less than honest or less than honoring of your mother, right? I don't have to give you examples of that. You know you haven't kept the commandments. But this man, when Jesus says, keep the commandments, uh, and, and he lists them out. He lists out six uh, of the seven kind of like second table of the law. And he lists out these general rules to live by. And the man, when he hears the list about not stealing and lying and defrauding people and honoring his parents, he's like, teacher, I have done that since I was like those kids that you were just taking care of. Like, I've done that. I've been good. I've been great. And you know what? I don't think that he was uh, lying. I think he was self-deceived. But I don't think he was lying. I think he truly believes he was, he was a good person. He had done good things his whole life. He's your next-door neighbor that you want to have. right? He's good. He's nice. He's upstanding. He mows his lawn when he's supposed to. Maybe he even mows a piece of your lawn, too, because he's a good dude. Right? He's, a, he's a good, solid guy. Everything about him is upstanding. And in that culture, in that society, everyone would look up to him because he's got money and he's moral. And he is like a picture of like, the, the, if anybody can take hold of heaven, it's this upstanding, moral, powerful person. He's got great power, and he has great internal kind of like morality, right? And that's tough to keep, right? To keep power and morality together. Oftentimes those fly in the face of each other. And this guy has got both of those things, and he's holding on to those, and he looks like he's got everything under control. And Jesus, after he listens to the guy's response, says, well, there's one more thing you need to do. You need to give it all away. Everything that you have ever valued, Every possession that you own, sell it all and come follow me. Now, this is a tough teaching. I was, I was talking with my, my group and uh, I, I was like stabbing one of my people with like difficult questions just until they broke and, you know, it was my goal there at least. And so I was like, so does this mean that we should follow that, that rule? Should we sell everything that we have and follow after Jesus? And uh, this person's like, well, no. And I was like, well, that's weird, because last week you were very dogmatic about some other things, right? Like, what, what, what do you mean no, right? And so we go back and forth a few times, and, and the truth is, this is a tough teaching. This man sold, had to sell everything that he owned to attain this, this fellowship, this, this level of discipleship that he needed to have for, for, for Jesus to say, you have now inherited the kingdom of God. And this, first of all, I'll give away the answer here. This is not a prescriptive passage, right? This isn't true of all people for all times, but it is true if money has a hold on you like it had a hold on this guy, you probably need to, to, to loosen the hand up a lot, right? You need to loosen the hand up a lot. If, if, if the only reason you're able to sleep at night is because your mortgage is paid off, and you're like, finally, now I can get a good night's sleep because my mortgage is paid off, or finally, I can get a good night's sleep because my 401k number says this today, and if it says this, then I'm okay, but whenever it says this, it's not, right? Or, or, or that check finally cleared the bank, and now I can sleep at night. If, if, if that's where you're at with money, money has become a problem for you. And for this guy, money was a problem because his whole self was there. Like I said, he had power. The reason he had power is because he had wealth. 
And Jesus had just told us to receive the kingdom of God, you have to come in powerless. You don't do it. You can't do it. So if you're powerful and you're trusting in your strength, you know, America is a tough place for that because we all have bootstraps and we've been told to pick ourselves up by them over and over and over again. Right? Like work hard, do right, then you'll, you'll, you'll achieve whatever the American dream is for you, whether it's a white picket fence around your, your, your property in, in town or whether it's out of town and 200 acres and, you know, I don't know how many head of cattle you can run on 200 acres. I'd just make up a number six. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Like whatever your dream is, right, that American dream that's deep inside of you or a boat or whatever it is, we've been told if you work hard and you get knocked down, you pick yourself back up, you dust yourself back off, and you chase after that dream because that is the American dream. But that's not God's dream for us. Right? God's dream for us isn't a, a fluency. It's not comfort. Right? God's dream for us is sacrifice for his sake. And so to give up what we have. And so this man went away. He was sorrowful because he didn't want to give up his power to follow after Jesus Christ. He wanted to follow Jesus while still maintaining his personal power. And guys, we do that all the time. All the time we go into our lives and we, and we see a, a, a solution that God has offered. And we say, I like that solution, but I want to keep this too. And God is asking for total surrender of ourselves. Guys, you can't come to heaven. You can't enter into eternal life through your strength. Right? Faith is the entry point for eternal life. And faith is a full dependence on Jesus Christ. It's coming to Jesus like these helpless children who have nothing to offer and saying, God, I'm a wicked, wicked sinner. I have nothing good in me. Nothing about me is righteous. Nothing about me is honorable. Nothing about me is holy. Everything I have is breaking me. Please, Lord, save me. Now think about the, the, the story that Jesus tells of the tax collector and the Pharisee. They're in the temple and they're praying side by side. And you have the tax collector and he prays that prayer, Lord, or he really, really, uh, he doesn't even pray out loud, right? Like he's, he's, he's deeply disturbed about who he is. He's beating his chest and he's weeping because he knows he's broken. And the Pharisee looks over at him and says, God, thank you that I'm not that guy. That you've made me holy and righteous, and good. That Pharisee has no inheritance in God's kingdom because he believes it's what he does. Works-based salvation is deeply embedded in every single one of us. We believe if we're good enough, God will like us more. If we do these things, God will like us more. And if we stop doing these other things, God will, will like us more. But if we do the things that we're not supposed to do, God will dislike us some. And somehow God has some great hierarchy. And if we can just be good enough at the end of the day, if we can be holy enough at the end of the day, if our righteousness is, is, is good at the end of the day, then we feel like we're going to receive eternal life. And Jesus says, no, you come to me helpless. Don't come like this rich young man who had his confidence in other things, desiring the right thing, but unwilling to make himself submitted. To the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus goes back and he, and he continues uh, teaching. And he picks up in verse 23. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How difficult it will be 
uh, for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed as were, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at him and said, Look, with man it's impossible, uh, but all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. We've done exactly what you asked that guy to do. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left a house or brother or sisters or mother uh, or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundred now uh, in this time those same things with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many, verse 31, who are first will be last and the last First, here's what Jesus promises to those of us who follow after him. If we'll follow after him and give of ourselves sacrificially, if we would fully trust in him and not rely on our strength, we will be blessed now and we will be blessed then. But this now blessing is not what some preachers will tell you. It's not for every dollar you seed into my ministry, God is going to give you a hundredfold back into your pocket. Uh, that's generally uh, uh, just thievery, right? I think that's the way that's supposed to work for the preacher's side, okay? Um, now, what it means is like, for everything you sacrifice here, God will bless you here. And what that blessing looks like may not be financial, right? It may not be, you know, Jesus says for every, you'll, you'll receive a hundred full of lands and mothers and fathers, but here's the deal, I got one mom, Right? And, and my mom loves Jesus, and so I don't actually have to sacrifice and leave her um, to, to, to follow after Christ. But if I did have to sacrifice my mother to follow faithfully after Jesus Christ, I do not believe that I would receive a hundred new mothers on this, on, on this plane, right? The TV preacher says for every dollar you give, you'll get a hundred dollars back. God says it. It's right there. He doesn't talk about mothers and fathers or children. Dear Lord, can you imagine that? I've got six right? Uh, the 15 passenger van will not hold the family that's coming my way, right? right? No, no one wants, <laughs> that's, that's mean. I don't want that blessing, right? I don't want that blessing, but I get to be a part of God's community. And you know, I'm a, I'm a 37 year old man, but you know how many mothers I've had in the faith because of places like this right here? Hundreds. There are hundreds of women who have cared about me and loved me and mentored me from my earliest days as a child going through Sunday school to, to today, right now, in First Baptist Church Rockdale, where some of you ladies hold me up in prayer and care for me and mentor me. Guys, we receive that on this side, but there's something on the other side, too. Our blessings aren't all on this temporal side. There's another side to this. And I want to talk just briefly about heaven. Guys, heaven is one of the most, it may be the most misunderstood major doctrine of the church. You know, I, I do funerals from time to time, not for a little while, so please keep that going, guys. Um, but uh, I do funerals from time to time, and people ask me questions about eternity. Because they're thinking about eternity when, when, when someone enters into that period. And when we think about heaven, like my, my natural, even now, even as someone who knows better, when I think about eternity, I immediately go to clouds. 
Like, not even, not like, uh, it doesn't have to be like every, but like clouds are there in my mind. Like, and that's because of cartoons, I swear. It's cartoons, right? This thing dies, somehow the soul comes out and turns into a whatever, you know, and it's got a little harp and it floats up on a cloud with angel wings. Right? Like, cartoons have ruined me for eternal life, and it's messed up my taste for what eternal life is supposed to be. But, you know, this, this world that we live in now is a broke-down, run-down place. It's broke-down, run-down because you're on it, right? We're, we're, we're part of the problem. It started way back in the beginning with Adam and Eve, but the world that's going to come, that Jesus promises to come in Revelations 21 and 22, the way this story comes to an end is we're created for that place. A real place with real things that, that, that you can taste and touch. It'll be familiar but unfamiliar because it will be perfect. It begin, the story of, uh, of redemption begins in a garden, the Garden of Eden. It ends in a garden where God is the gardener planting us anew in that place. We are made, we are created, we're of the dust, we are, we're, we're, we're material beings, and God puts us in a material place. Now, how does that work out? Like, like if I die right now, mid-sermon, uh, Doc, you got to finish it up if that happens, by the way. Um, but uh, if I die right now, mid-sermon, what, what, what happens to me? What takes place when we get this kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, what, what happens? Guys, I don't have a perfect answer for that. I can't tell you exactly what happens, but, but my, my personal belief from Scripture is like immediately I will, uh, I will be in the new earth. But guess what? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we'll, we'll be there together. Even if you're still alive here right now after I die in front of you miserably on the stage right now, uh, it, we'll, we'll enter heaven together day one. So day one for Peter, day one for Matt, day one for Matt's great-great-grandkid. How does this work with time? I don't know, guys. Time's a weird, sticky little wicket, right? But, but that's my general understanding of Scripture. We're all going to come together, and we're going to be on the new earth. And Jesus and God are going to draw near the new heaven and the new earth. They're going to be close together. We're going to experience the presence of God in a unique, special way, right? I don't think that my great-grandmother is waiting for me right now. I don't believe that she's waiting. Maybe she is, but I don't believe she's waiting for me. I believe uh, when I pass away, uh, Grandma Huddleston... And I will enter into eternal rest together. Um, but even if she is waiting, we're, that's where ultimately we're going to end up together. Is on a new earth that God has made perfect for us. And guys, that's a better for me as someone who struggles with like living in a cloud. Like uh, it doesn't, that's never really appealed to me as eternal life. When I've read Revelation a few times through, like that picture at the end of Revelation, that's what my soul longs for. Get longs for this thing that I, I love God's creation. I hate that it's broken. Right, right. But I get to be a part of the real deal, what God made. And guys, that's the back end of what God promises for those who follow him and know him and trust him, who enter into him through a helpless state. What he promises is we will be given eternal rest there. And guys, that's good news. It's good news for you, it's good news for me, and we should cling to that good news. But we have to throw off those things that will stop us from grabbing a hold of that.
those things that tempt us to think that our abilities or our power or our wealth or our goodness will let us have better access there, we have to throw those things off and fall fully into the arms of grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. You don't deserve it, but God still gives it to you. Guys, grace is what you need because you are bad. I know this because I'm bad. I don't, I'm not good. I try to be good. And I believe God rewards. Like I think there's some rewards at the end of this thing for those who, who love God fully and devote their lives to, to, to making His name known. I think there's some rewards on the back end. But guys, I'm not good. I'm not good enough to do this. The only way that I have any chance is to trust in the goodness of Jesus Christ. At Vacation Bible School this week, I went into all the grade school classes. I shared the gospel. And as I shared the gospel, uh, I shared the story of the, the, the parable of the prodigal son in the older kids' classes. And that, that story is my favorite story because that story is me. Because God loves me so much and then I take advantage of him and I run off and I do my own thing. And I act like an idiot, like a total idiot doing stupid stuff. But I was 15 years old and pretty deep into stupidity. And I was sitting, you know, three rows back, Sunday night church. Some guy shared the gospel. And I had the moment that that kid had in the, in the story. You know, the Bible uses the turn of phrase that the, 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 the prodigal son came to his senses. He was out of his mind and then he came back into his mind. And that happened to me. I, I can remember it clear as day because I was sitting there with my girlfriend and I was thinking, when's this thing going to be done so we can go do our dinner or our movie or whatever we were going to catch after church. And then God said, not today, you're not. In my mind that was in like just teenage craziness, God just grabbed a hold of. He reoriented my whole life on that day. And ever since then, I've recognized there's nothing, there's nothing that I did to warrant God choosing to reach out to me in that moment. And there's nothing that I can do to remain with God except to trust Him. God is good, guys. He's good because He loves us. He's good because He's perfect. He's good because He's holy. Trust Him. Give up on what everyone else tells you is going to get you there. It doesn't work. It will fail, and it will, it will lead you to a path of destruction. You have two examples in this story. You have these children who come to, come to Jesus with total helplessness. And Jesus says, this is how you enter the kingdom of heaven. And then you have a rich, powerful, righteous man. And Jesus says, you don't have it yet, because you're trusting the wrong thing. Give it all away. Follow me. And then, then you'll inherit eternal life. That man walked away sorrowful. We don't know, maybe he came back the next day. We don't know the end of his story. And I think it's good that way. Because the story's really about you anyways. What are you going to do? Are you going to stop trusting in your own stuff? Are you going to stop trusting in your own works? Are you going to stop trusting in your own wealth? Are you going to stop trusting in your own power and come to Jesus helplessly? Are you going to walk away sorrowful because that message wasn't what you wanted to hear? And just continue to do it your way.
That choice is yours today. I want you to know, though, guys, we bring nothing to God to merit eternal life. We can't do it. Jesus did it for us. Trust Him today. Let's pray.